Hello and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things relating to your well-being, including interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food facts series. I am Amanda Hayes, your host, a nutritionist with a passion for well-being. Before I introduce today's guest, I will take a moment to let you know that you can subscribe to my podcast on YouTube, hit the red subscribe button, or on your favourite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, or Google Podcast. I will also mention that, although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure, or prevent injuries or medical conditions, and is not a substitute for advice from your own health professional. Today, I am here with Farah Furtado. Farah lives in Portugal, and while we recorded this, Farah was in a beautiful tree-lined street of Portimao while I was in my office in Adelaide. The power of technology to connect still boggles my mind. Farah is a yoga instructor, a writer, and filmmaker. She practices meditation and fasting, and lives a life focused on kindness, creativity, and well-being. I hope you enjoy my chat with this wonderful woman as much as I did. Today, I am here with Farah Furtado, who is in Portugal, and I'm here in Adelaide. So hi, Farah, and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. Hello, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really excited. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. And as I mentioned in the introduction, you have so many feathers in your cap. You're a yoga instructor, a writer, and a filmmaker. You also have a degree in Reiki and you practice meditation and fasting. So we've got a lot to talk about today. But first of all, I'd like to talk about uh, your life. So you were born in Canada, in Victoria, yep. British Columbia, to an artistic family of Azorian. Is, did I say that properly? Yes, that's right. From the island yes. of São Miguel, which is one of nine islands in an archipelago that is an autonomous region of Portugal, I believe. You grew up in Canada. So it was, was it your parents or your grandparents who were the immigrants to Canada? So in the 60s, my dad, he immigrated to Canada because the situation was very bad. Portugal was considered a third world country at that time. You know, uh, we had Salazar dictating the country, a fascist mm -hmm. regime. And so my father went over to Canada along with his brothers and sisters and mom. And, um, and then um, my mom and dad, they, they were dating and fell in love through writing letters over, you know, a couple years. And then that's when my dad sent or my yeah my mom my mom over to Canada so it's my mom and my dad they're Azorian they're from San Miguel so what language did you speak at home or languages that's a really good question um it was important for my parents that the kids were fluent and educated in the you know in English and but at the same time they wanted to preserve the culture. So sure. they would send us to uh, one of the ladies that was a teacher in the village and she happened to immigrate to where I'm from in Victoria. And so she would hold classes once a week. And so we did that probably from, well, I first remember, I guess, seven years old up until I was probably 16, I guess, always taking Portuguese lessons. Did you then speak to your parents in Portuguese at home or English or a bit of a mixture? It would be mostly English. And I think it was important for my parents to also learn the language. And so they were kind of practicing. Yeah. And I always remember English, Portuguese dictionaries in our home and the encyclopedia <laughs> in our home, you know, to fact check everything. And, you know, um, but when speaking to, let's say, my great aunts or my grandmother, we would speak in Portuguese because she didn't understand English at all. Or she would pretend she didn't know English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, I'm laughing because that's just my grandmother. She's, uh, she's a beautiful uh, woman. And, uh, yeah, God rest her soul. Did you visit Portugal with your family as a child or did your parents not want to go back or how was it? Oh, I'm so happy you asked me this question. I'm really blessed that 
my family would save up and every two years we'd go to San Miguel to visit the family and also, you know, just reestablish the roots there. And my first trip to Portugal was when I was five years old. So I would always have that connection. I felt, I always felt that Portugal was my home and Canada was also my home. Oh, you're really lucky in some ways, aren't you, that you've got two places that you feel very at home in. I have the best parents. I'm really blessed that they decided to do it that way. Yeah. And to keep both cultures alive for you. Did you feel ever like you were straddling two cultures or did did you manage to combine them quite easily? Wow, Amanda, you're really asking some questions that I haven't thought about in a long time. (laughs) Really important questions, you know? So I think the toughest was when I was in primary school because my lunch would be very different. It would look different. And sometimes, you know, that I would have to kind of walk away and eat my lunch by myself because it wasn't worth um, the comments from my friends or so-called friends. So that part was really difficult. And then, you know, nobody was doing folklore Portuguese dancing or going to Portuguese festivals and, you know, going to Portuguese church and, and speaking a different language. I came from a very, um, white Anglo-Saxon community. A lot of, most mm-hmm. of the people were British or many generations uh, Canadian around me in my neighborhood in Victoria, British Columbia. So it was very difficult as a child. When I was in primary school, there were a lot of Greek and Italian immigrants in Australia. And um, ah. it was a similar thing that they'd have these lunches that I thought looked delicious and exotic (laughs) and we'd be eating our boring sandwiches. You were one of the nice kids, open-minded, compassionate. (laughs) Um, Too bad not everybody was like that in my school. You also uh, said, or I read somewhere, I think that your family is very artistic. So can you tell me Mm -hmm. about that? You said you grew up in an artistic household. Very much. For me, it's sometimes difficult to explain where that comes from because ever since I was a kid, um, you know, creative freedom and being artistic was just the way that we were as a family. And also, you know, my aunts and uncles and their kids and, you know, what we were a part of. I think the creativity stems from a very simple childhood that my dad and my mom had. So they had to make things out of the environment that they were in. And San Miguel Mm -hmm. is a, a gorgeous, rich environment, climate, trees, and, you know, uh, materials, wood, stone, everything, you know, around them. And it was just sort of uh, available. And so they would just resort to, okay, you know, we need a blanket for this or that, okay, we're going to be using this big banana tree branches or whatever. We're just going to put them together and we're going to make it a blanket. And, you know, same went for the toys where they would just entertain themselves with the natural environment around them. And just, you know, they would allow their imaginations to flow freely. And there was just this freedom that came from creativity that they, they, they didn't have freedom economically and um, politically, socially, because as I said Mm -hmm. before, when we were chatting um, at that time, Portugal was, was a third world country and it was dictated through a fascist leader. And so they had their freedom um, through imagination. So in the privacy of their own homes, they would sing my grandfather, my uncle, um, they wrote band scores. They were singing, they were, um, playing instruments such as the saxophone, the trumpet, um, clarinet, <laughs> you name it. Wow. And um, yeah, it's it's a sense of freedom to express your creativity when you're it restrained like an, that. Yeah, particularly um, in that kind of environment. Anyway, just moving along, um, before you founded your yoga schools, I believe that you worked in a very high-pressure corporate job selling custom-made yes. evening gowns internationally, Mm -hmm. which sounds very interesting to me. Uh, Where were you based during that time? Yeah, so I had a company called Stars, Rockets, Unicorns, and it was a custom-made 
um, evening gown, bridal gown store where um, a customer could just come up with a, an idea of a gown, a dress, or even for men, a suit and tie and stuff. Um, and I would make it happen for them. And so I was based in Taiwan. I was very lucky. I stumbled upon, it was an up and coming established tailor business. Mm -hmm. And um, I just worked for them. They were actually from Shenzhen. Uh, China. And so I worked very closely with them on the phone, emails, um, doing, you know, refunds directly through them, communicating with them on a daily basis. And um, it was my MBA. That's where I got my degree in business. Yeah. I feel, you know, I learned so yeah. much. And on, on um, the job as opposed to in the classroom. Yeah. yeah. And I learned so much from working in that environment, but at the same time, it was extremely stressful. You're working sometimes 50 hours a day and you're nonstop um, on the phone because it's an international business. So you're dealing okay. with customers at all hours of the night and stuff and emergencies often happen. So yeah, it was, um, it was not very healthy for me. How did that start impacting your health then? What did you notice? I think it was the breathing first that caught my attention. So I was having problems breathing and went to the doctor. The doctor said, okay, you have chronic asthma. Here are some puffers. And that really upset me. And um, mm. yeah, and other issues such as panic attacks and anxiety. Yeah, well, anxiety can affect your your breathing, obviously. Mm, um, that's right. You weren't feeling great. You were in a high-pressure job and you decided that you needed to change your lifestyle. Was that something that happened over a period of time or was there a moment when you thought, I just need to step away from this and live a different way? The decision happened quite quickly because another thing was I had a lot of body pain. So things like frozen neck and joint pain in my hands and in my back. And so the doctor also diagnosed me with arthritis and I was, you know, oh, just dear. in my mid thirties and that mm. really scared me. And so I started researching about other ways of healing and I learned about yoga and meditation and pretty much within a couple of weeks, I signed up for a 200 hour yoga teacher training because I wanted to learn <laughs> every single thing about yoga to self heal wow. myself. Well, that's amazing. So had you done any yoga before that or did you just throw yourself sort of headlong into the teacher training course? For yoga, no, I did not know anything about yoga, but I did have a meditation background and also because my background, um, I grew up, as I said, um, Portuguese, so Roman Catholic. And so meditation, um, uh, in other words, prayer is a big mm. part of um, that. And so, and also my background's in psychology, I have a degree in psychology. And so I studied a lot about meditation and also in Taiwan, I had a fortunate, a very, I was very lucky, an opportunity to study one-on-one -on -one with um, a monk, a Canadian monk who lived in Taiwan at Foguansan Buddhist Monastery. This is the largest Buddhist, mm -hmm. one of the largest Buddhist monasteries in the world. And she kind of just took me under her wing for five years. She and some of her friends, the monks that lived there as well. And they taught me every week wow. and sometimes for days at a time, going on silent retreats, going on vegetarian 101 retreats, courses. And then um, she asked me to be her assistant. So I would help her organize these retreats for English expats in Taiwan. Wow. So oh, that sounds <laughs> so. Oh, thanks. So to answer your question, I did not know anything about yoga, um, but I did have a little bit of meditation background when I decided to jump in and take the 200-hour teacher course. 
Yes, and I I would say that I think there is um, an amazing synergy between yoga and meditation. Um, So do you think that's a fair comment? Yeah. Just before we talk a bit more about meditation, I'd like to to go back to yoga. So um, I know with your yoga teacher training, I think you studied with some quite um, well-known and interesting yoga teachers. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So I started my yoga journey 10 years ago. Okay, so I received the first certification um, in, in about ten, 2010. And so I was sharing yoga, although I never wanted to be a teacher, it just kind of naturally, organically um, ended up that way. Mm-hmm. And um, so my practice was beginning to be a little bit stagnant and I didn't feel challenged enough. And so my childhood best friend, she she was going to India. And so she encouraged me to join her. And so I just, without even thinking about it, when I arrived to India, I um, talked to the lady who was renting an apartment for me. And I asked her to recommend a yoga teacher for Ashtanga, which is considered one of the more challenging styles of yoga. And that's what I wanted. I wanted wanted to shake my bones anew. I really wanted to do something to um, jumpstart or change my life, I guess, or get some kind of new challenge because it was a little bit stagnant, a little bit too comfortable. So the the sweet lady um, who was renting this apartment for me, she kind of looked at me dumbfounded and said, you do realize whose school, whose yoga school this is? And I said, no. And she said, this is BNS Iyengar's yoga shala. (laughs) And yes, I can recommend a yoga teacher just take classes here. Because I didn't realize it was also a, a yoga school that I was staying in. Because it's kind of a large serendipity that is amazing. I know that's right. It was very. It was. It was in flow, and I didn't really, you know, do too much research before I went because I knew I wanted a teacher in Ashtanga, but I didn't overanalyze. I didn't overthink it. I just kind of jumped on a plane and I said, "Okay, I'll figure it out as I go along," kind of thing, just like how I do everything in life, really. And wow, you hit the jackpot. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I met BNS Iyengar and I took my classes there. And for the next four consecutive years, I continued taking the same certification, the same training, because every time I went to India, I would receive more it would feel different in my body and it didn't matter that it was the the same course that I was taking Mm -hmm. and that's the beauty of yoga and studying meditation and pranayama pranayama is a breathing technique um, from this yoga lineage and it doesn't matter how many times you've studied something in yoga or how many postures you've practiced or how many breathing techniques you've done. It's always different. And that's why I kept on going back and studying with BNS Iyengar. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing, I think, with um, yoga and meditation. It's not like, oh, I've done that, I've finished. (laughs) It's a lifelong journey, isn't it? And as you say, some people do sun salutations every single day. And Mm -hmm. it's just every time it brings something to their life. Yeah, that's right. That's the beauty of yoga. And everyone can do this. If you can breathe, if you have a mat in your house, just close the door, tell your roommates, tell your partner that or children you are going to be practicing for, let's say, 10 minutes or even 30 minutes if you're starting Mm -hmm. out. And sure, just turn on a, a YouTube video. Sun Salutations is a perfect place to start your yoga practice. The other thing I love about yoga personally is it's it's non-judgmental. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you're stiff and you can't That's get right. yourself into the full version of the pose. You just do what works for your own body and 
You know, I think that's such a nice way to be in a space with other people where everyone's just working together, but also just to their own level. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been incredibly inspired and blessed. The teachers that I've come across, they're, they're, you know, 70. BNS Anger is 96. He's still teaching. He does the practice four times a day. He's sharing four times a day. And um, for me, there's no age limit. It doesn't matter where you are on your journey. Everyone, Everyone is equal when it comes to yoga. That's one of the most beautiful things about it. And mm-hmm. you say that um, your life changed for the better when you embarked on your yoga journey. So in what yeah. ways did that manifest for you? Yoga has completely changed my life. And it's not just, um, say, being able to go deeper into a pose or stay longer in a pose. It's not about that. It's, it's the blessings that come in your daily life. And for example, perhaps somebody out there listening is the type of person to quickly react if their child is, you know, misbehaving or something Mm. and just quickly get angry or quickly get stressed or something, react. Yoga has the ability to to give us that time. It it trains us to go inward. So what used to bother us no longer bothers us. We come from a sense of compassion and patience Mm -hmm. instead. And we put ourselves in the shoes of the person that might be, you know, quote unquote, irritating us at that time. You know, it's, it's incredible how yoga has that ability to, to influence the way that we react, not only with our loved ones around us or our friends, neighbors or community, but um, animals, plant life. Um, on my mm. yoga journey now, I'm looking at the environment and insects in a new way that I've never seen before with a sense of compassion. I never thought that I would be, I mean, I, I, I don't want to harm insects, but I, I'm starting to view them in a new way these days for some reason. It's very interesting. That is interesting. Like they're our friends and allies. Well, we need them on the that. planet. Mm. Oh, yeah. And lately I've been thinking of them, you know, the plant kingdom, the insects, animals, of course, as our allies and uh, noticing if they cross my path and noticing the beauty of them a lot more. The human species hasn't been all that kind to the environment, so it's time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's definitely right. time that we change exactly. our ways. Yeah. And so now you have a yoga I think do you ha- you have two yoga schools I think one in Portugal and one in Taiwan is that so right? I, well in Taiwan it started out as a co-op so for nonprofit we just offer yoga with our friends and then it grew into a community called Gaoshang Yogi that was 10 years mm-hmm. ago and it still exists um, the friends that I started that with, it, it's still there um, and thriving. There's, I, I looked the other day, there's 2,000 members. I was quite shocked oh, because wow. we only started mm. with, you know, five friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's beautiful. Here in Portugal, I opened up a yoga studio in 2015 and it's called Bend It Like Buddha. Oh, yes. So please tell me where that title comes from. Oh, Bend It Like Buddha. <laughs> well, um, it is an honor and a reverence to my studies in Buddhism when I lived in Taiwan and the monks there mm-hmm. took me under their wing and how much meditation um, means to me. And also there's a love of soccer there because I don't know if you know the term, bend it like Beckham. 
I, I, I did. And I, that was actually one of the first things that came to my mind. So I wanted to find <laughs> out from you. So in Portugal, we love soccer. It's a national pastime. And most of my students, not, it, not so much anymore, but before in the beginning, they came from the UK. So it's kind of that nod to bend it like Beckham, bend it like Buddha. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. What kind of things do you offer at the Bend It Like Buddha Yoga School? We offer the 200-hour yoga teacher training, mm-hmm. and we also offer online courses now. Because of COVID, I had to move yeah. all of our courses online. That was an incredible journey. I'm still wow. on that journey, and I love it. Um, currently, we have... 150 students now enrolled in our online trainings. Wow, we isn't do... that extraordinary? <laughs> it's mm. amazing. It's incredible. We're so blessed. And so we offer weekly courses on Zoom. So this week we have um, anatomy expert talking about happy hips and how we can keep our hips in, um, you know, um, healthy and strong mm-hmm. and uh, mobile especially for going into our middle life, because most of our students are between the ages, women between the ages of 35 and 55. So Mm -hmm. she's going to be talking about that. And um, I offer meditation. I offer five-day breathwork challenges. I offer um, online fasting challenges for five days. That's uh, an important part of my life as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and Reiki and uh, Ayurveda massage. I think one of the lovely things about um, all the silver linings, I guess we could say about the um, coronavirus pandemic is going mm-hmm. online makes yoga oh, yeah. so much more accessible to people who perhaps for whatever reason it. can't travel or, I mean, I think there's still something very nice about being in the room with the teacher because when they, of you know, course. gently place their hand on you and realign something that's really lovely but um at the moment when you can't go to a yoga studio it's it's wonderful to be able to do it online and have access to that it is my teacher friends are saying that there's this sense and I feel it as well the sense of no pressure of trying different things and being a little more creative with what they're offering online and it's so beautiful to be in this kind of flow right now with offering yeah. these online courses currently because of COVID. It must have been a huge job to get everything, <laughs> to transfer everything over to an online um, facility of, oh gosh, I can't imagine. Yes, yes. I have to give credit to my... I, I don't know if I can say it on your show, my spirit team, because last summer when I had about two months off and I felt this overwhelming pressure to put all of my videos and all of my meditation um, audios on teachable.com, you know, that platform. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't understand what the pressure was, but um, yeah, I was doing that every morning. yeah, for two months in in July and August when I was visiting my family in Canada. Of course, it is it's a huge job to move your whole program online. So yeah. we have a portal with the 50-plus videos and audios, uh, PDFs, and then there's my Amazon best-selling yoga teacher manual there. Mm-hmm. And um, that's in seven modules, 11 lessons in each module, and then students hop on the Zoom calls. So for example, we have three Zoom calls this week and we teach vinyasa online, ashtanga online, um, philosophy online, breathwork, pranayama, and then the anatomy class. Farah, back to meditation, we touched on it before and you were very lucky in Taiwan to have a wonderful teacher. So what does meditation bring to your life? It gives me that ability to go inward, to always come into that place of stillness inside, no matter the chaos externally. Mm -hmm. And when I 
had that very draining lifestyle, um, you know, working in um, a very busy uh, company um, in corporation with, um, you know, partners in Asia and stuff, um, designing custom-made wedding dresses and things. The restoration and the, um, you know, the peace that I felt mm. when I would just set my timer for five minutes and after five minutes of breathing um, and I was experimenting with different YouTube videos. I have one right now, a yoga nidra uh, meditate, actually several for free on YouTube if people would like to check that out if they're not oh, sure cool. about can, where to start. I can put links to that in the show notes if you like. Oh, that would be amazing. Thank you so yeah. much. So um, I just thought it was incredible how you can just meditate for five minutes and then open your eyes and all of a sudden you have energy again. Yeah, I agree. And and also it it's a form of perspective, I think, isn't it? If you do feel anxious or stressed and mm -hmm. you just take a step back, sort of go <laughs> yeah. inside yourself, it does make you feel calmer, definitely. It's a miracle. People are taking pills because of this. And then we can just sit in silence for five minutes and then self-heal ourselves. Isn't it beautiful? Such a peaceful way of looking after not just yourself but other people around you because it makes you exactly. more compassionate more aware that's so true now I'd like to talk about some of the creative things you've done so you've sure. written a couple of books and yes. the one I'd like to talk about today is called the journey metamorphosis which became an Amazon bestseller, I believe, in 14 categories in June last year. So congratulations. Thank so you. what's that book about? The Journey Metamorphosis came about um, because of my yoga students wanting more um, information written down. And so it just came about organically. So I started writing little personal stories about how yoga helped me and it's my perspective on how meditation and the breath work and yoga can be used as a medicine depending on how you're feeling or what you need at any given moment or what your um, unique situation is or your unique um, health conditions are and I just spoke from my personal journey and how it helped me and this is a yoga teacher training book so you'll have the 75 postures and what the benefits mm -hmm. are in each posture and the alignment and talk about the anatomy of the posture oh, breath right. and there's some meditation scripts if people are looking for new um, ideas for their classes mm -hmm. I also have vinyasa sample classes that I've taught in there and some sample yin classes that I've taught in there. So the audience then, it sounds like it is for people studying to become yoga teachers, but could anyone read it, do you think? Yes, it's written for the beginner in mind. A lot of people read the book um, just when they're starting out and they want that experience um, that the stories or, yeah. um, you know, I put little quotes in there by Deepak Chopra and, um, you know, different inspirational people that I love. And, um, so it's kind, it's not a textbook yoga teacher training book or, a a manual for beginners. It's more of a story. And that also I talk lovely. about my entrepreneurial journey as well in there. Apart from uh, everything else that you do, you have also produced a really beautiful documentary called Atha Gamma. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I have to say, I absolutely loved it. It was just oh, gorgeous you. to watch. It obviously resonated with a lot of people because it was nominated for a plethora of awards and it won the Best Canadian Documentary at the Toronto International Nollywood Film Festival last year. Mm -hmm. And also it um, it was the platinum winner at the International Independent Film Awards last year. So well done. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, what does Athagama mean? Atha in Sanskrit, which is 
one of the oldest languages on earth, it's also known as the yogic language, means in the moment. So being in the present moment and the sacredness and the liberation that comes with being focused in the present moment. Gamma is a brainwave that we experience for only a split second in time. Um, the gamma um, kicks in when we, you know, see the smile or the laugh of the child that we love, or we've hiked all day on a mountain and we see the peak and the beautiful vista. The gamma um, will come in and it makes us feel very good. It's kind of like an awakened state, but mm -hmm. unfortunately, as I said. As humans, we don't have that ability to be able to tap into the gamma brainwave very often to feel that, you know, those feel good chemicals. However, something very fascinating, and thanks to science, is that they have looked at monks who spend the majority of their time meditating. We're talking thousands and thousands of hours meditation. And not only while they're sitting on, you know, their meditation cushion, but also they have they know how to truly meditate in every single moment, every single waking moment. They have that ability. They know they have the skill. And so the scientists they they put those tubes on the the skull of the mm -hmm. you know the brain of yes. all, you know it's like Medusa kind of snake yeah. kind <laughs> of look. To it that's what they did to the monks and uh, what they found was that these monks that have thousands of hours of meditation practice they experience gamma brainwave throughout their day not just the half a split second that you and i might experience in a day that is truly extraordinary yes and that's the inspiration for Arthur gamma the movie yeah it's great that it's been explained by science as well just because mm -hmm. i think yeah. then it makes people really perhaps appreciate how important meditation can be and how healing right. it can be what inspired you then to produce the documentary i think as a writer it's the ultimate dream of seeing your vision on a screen. And so that was always a desire of mine and always a dream of mine to produce a movie. And also it was this sadness that my teacher, um, BNS Iyengar, mm -hmm. as I said, he's, you know, in at, coming towards the end of his life. Unless he lives forever. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's possible, is it? Not yet. <laughs> but um, so um, I was quite sad thinking about um, that not very many people will get the chance to, to learn what he is um, imparting on the world with his knowledge. He is the student of the great... Um, yoga master Krishnamacharya, and without Krishnamacharya, there would not be yoga in the West, the mm -hmm. way that it is today. And it's because of BNS Iyengar's teacher is why we have this movement. Um, you know, Krishnamacharya, he he shared the knowledge to a lot of famous teachers. Um, they have passed on, except for BNS Iyengar, he's still here with us. And so the movie is showing people the beauty of the present moment and the beauty of these ancient yet powerful practices. Yeah, and in the movie you, um, you film a lot of the scenes in very ancient-looking places, which was, mm -hmm. it was it was a visual feast, I thought, watching your movie. Oh, um, thanks. You filmed it in India, I believe. So were there any challenges um, associated with the location, like the, the heat, the traffic and that kind of thing? Yes. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> I'm sure there were. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Where do I even begin? <laughs> 
Okay, I'd say the most disheartening challenge was when we began our interviews because we interviewed about 20 different people, uh, masters of yoga, neuroscientists, monks, all sorts of people, beginners to yoga as well. And one of the most exciting interviews that we were looking forward to was to speak with BNS Iyengar. So the director of the school, she said, yes, yes, it's wonderful. Okay, please meet at this time and he'll be there and we can do the interview shot. And so we show up with the crew. I mean, this is a little crew. It's just a cameraman and an assistant, two assistants and me. And um, so we show up and then with, with um, our camera crew, which we rented in Bangalore, Mm-hmm. And that was a challenge getting that because we're in Mysore, which is, I think, maybe seven hours away, maybe right. less or more or less. Anyways, and so um, we're waiting, we're waiting. It's late. It's past the time that he was supposed to show up. And then he shows up and basically he says, this has to stop. I am not about Hollywood. Oh, no. And... Um, I'm not interested anymore. And then he walked away. <laughs> so, oh, how disappointing. I know. And so um, the whole premise or the whole thesis that we came up with changed that moment. It was really disappointing when it happened and we were so stuck. But at the same time, we made the best out of it. And now there's so many people interviewed in that video that had so much knowledge to share and it was a blessing probably that he said no because I think if he said yes the whole movie would be about him and it would be more I mean it would be beautiful still mm. but it it changed it the it, it's a completely different movie I almost need to go back and try to see if he says yes this time <laughs> It's, uh, I guess, when that happened, that's putting all your meditation and yoga practices into, (laughs) in a practical sense, you really have to call on all of that, don't you, to not just crumble and, and to find another solution and and stay calm, because that would have been um, a shock at the time. Yeah, that's true. But at the same time, when these challenges occur, and I want to send this message to people that are listening that might be dealing with a challenge, a life challenge in their life, to see if you can embrace and accept and lean into the challenge and have trust that something much better is just past that doorway to not resist and to not be angry because that anger is the block from preventing you from going through the door to see something much better than you ever dreamed or imagined. In your case, what you turned the situation around and it's such a beautiful movie. And I think I mentioned to you before that my favorite scene is it's of you meditating at a really busy and chaotic Indian mm-hmm. bus station. And oh, I love that yeah. scene because you're sitting there, you Thank look you. so calm and so serene, and there is this absolutely mad world swirling all around <laughs> you. <laughs> so it was like, for me, it was like a, a visual illustration of inner peace. Well, thank you so much for saying that. I'm really... Um touched that you noticed that um, I did not want to do that shot as you know pretending I was meditating or an actress meditating I really had to put my training into Mm -hmm. it to go inward so I wouldn't be distracted with the buses around me or the people coming up you know or even the director going, uh, can you please move I, or something? Or I just, I, I really wanted to experience what meditation would be like in that challenging environment because I had never been in that kind of situation before meditating because it was always controlled. I could always close the door. Exactly. 
Yeah, and you normally pick a quiet place or one normally mm-hmm. picks a quiet place to meditate. So that's, right. <laughs> that's really putting it to the test. I, yeah. I really love that scene. And to me, it looked like you were meditating. It didn't <gasps> look like you were I, acting as I, if you were meditating. <gasps> so No, I had a beautiful light that I was able to touch um, because I was concentrating so intently on each inhalation and exhalation. And I sort of blocked out what was going on around me because I wanted that experience, um, that challenge again. I love challenges. And um, it really uh, rewarded me with an experience of peace and stillness inside of my body that I had never experienced before, just meditating daily that I usually do. I've never tried to meditate in a place like that. It, it, to be I recommend honest, it, it never occurred to me. <laughs> it's, I, there's something there, I think. The inner stillness overrides everything around you. And that is what you are becoming absorbed with, is this peace that is inside of you already. We all have that place of stillness inside and peace and divinity. Yes. And when you're meditating, you can tap into that. Right now we're shrouded in you know, this bodysuit and ignorance and the human condition of emotions and the ego and the 60,000 thoughts that are running through our brains every day. Science has proven that. And when you sit in silence, you get that little lens, at least a little pinhole of that peace, that enormous limitlessness, that infinite expansion of peace and stillness, which resides in all of us inside of our heart centers. So it's all about using the, or skills is not the right word, but the resources that we already have, we we all have it. We don't have to go outside to seek it. Exactly. Mm. That's a that's a beautiful um, way of putting it. Farrah, I'm so interested in the way you combine so many aspects of living an intentional life. It's not just thinking about things or dabbling in various ways to enhance your well-being, but you really truly live them all. You yo- you do yoga, you meditate, you do breath work, um, you nourish your creative side. But you also practice fasting, and you did mention that a bit earlier. And there's been a lot of scientific evidence around, or there is a lot around, about the benefits of fasting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good for um, your cellular repair. It's good for disease prevention. It's good for longevity. I mean, there mm-hmm. are so many. I, I won't list them all, but what... Yeah. Um, initially sparked your interest in fasting? I think initially it was, I read about fasting being able to cure arthritis and joint pain. And so I started experimenting with it. But then also when I was studying at Fogonshan Buddhist Monastery, the monks would practice fasting every Mm. month on the new moon. And so I learned more and more about it. Yeah. So first it was this desire to self-heal the body through fasting. But then when I started to go deeper with it, for me, it's almost always about going deeper with meditation and going deeper with who I am and exploring who I am and getting to know myself. Because when you fast, you experience yourself in a whole new way. And I feel with breath work, because that's what I do with our five-day fasting breath work challenges. And um, I, when I practice monthly fasting, I do a lot of breath work, is that the inspirations will come up a lot more clearly. And I feel a lot of clarity and lightness when I um, fast and do the breath work. So that's why I do it. And what does your fasting protocol look like? How do you do it? It's pretty simple and um, it's nothing extreme. So, and this is the same 
the same that the students do, whether they come in person to our retreat in Southern Portugal, or if they're doing um, a five-day online fasting challenge with me mm -hmm. on Zoom. So the first day is about preparing the body. So you're eating vegetables and fruits, very light vegan and vegetarian meals, mm -hmm. and drinking at least two to three liters of water. Then the second day, upon waking, it's a warm glass of lemon water, freshly squeezed with a pinch of cayenne pepper. And then you're drinking three glasses of superfood dark green juices. And then you are, um, two hours before you go to sleep, you drink a glass of organic fresh almond milk or cashew milk. Throughout the day, you can have organic um, teas, herbal teas, and mineral water. So we do that, that I just described. That's the day one of the fast for three days. Okay. So you do three days of the, the green juice fast with the nut the milk. juice and the tea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then on the final day, it's the most important day, and that is coming off of the fast. And a lot of the students will just continue the fast, and that's fine. You can do this for seven days, 10 days. In Taiwan, um, um, with the monks, they do it for 10 days always, once a month. But we do it um, less extreme here um, with my school. And day five, it's deciding what um, few vegetables or fruits you're going to be having chewing at least 40 times before you swallow, drinking lots of water and very, very small, like not even meals. It's just you're choosing one fruit. So it could be maybe an apple or maybe just a green salad. That's what you're eating on day five. And then um, being mindful about what you're putting into the body. And I love yeah. the feedback that the students share. It's a group. Um, experience so everyone is sharing their green juice recipes we our school have we have our own recipes um or recipe for the green juice but um the students might vary in their diet yeah. or what they guess, need right and depending they where are they are and what's what they absolutely can access mm. so um, important so what are some of the some of the feedback what do the students say when they're completed the fast they say it's life-changing and transformative but my favorite one is i hear things like i forgot about how strong my mind is or i forgot how capable i am and how healthy and strong my body is so it gives them that reminder of yeah. their inner strength and their inner self body healing that is capable for them right now without medications, without pills. It sort of makes sense, doesn't it? Because it gives your body time to take a break from constantly having to digest things and just sort of mm -hmm. in very layman's terms, but just fix everything else. <laughs> exactly. Another favorite aspect of these monthly fasts, I'm almost 50 and I'm fine and I'm, I'm quite busy and I'm finding that time just I'm in a time warp or some weird time twilight zone most of the time you know weeks feel like a day and then sometimes things feel like a million years and mm. <laughs> it's in a fast I get to slow down time or and then at the same time practice mindfulness and that's my favorite is the time construct that it's involved yeah. time construct is very different when you're fasting and i love that i guess we we need to start wrapping this up so I, I just a couple of final questions i had so who inspires you wow amanda you're really <laughs> asking me questions i haven't really thought about in a while oh so many i'd say my students inspire me Recently, as I was talking about before with you about how I, we had this challenge, uh, online challenge, I was called the Riff Challenge. And so students were asked, these are our online 200-hour um, mm -hmm. teacher training students, 
it was a lesson about some of the best yoga teachers are the ones that can share their life lessons and impart that on their students to inspire them. And so the challenge for the students was to speak on Facebook Live and our group of their dark night of the soul and a challenge that they've had to overcome and how it relates to yoga and how they can bring that into their yoga and their, their future yoga teachings with their students. And I honestly have not been so just in tears, just my heart just opened and warmed up. And I was really quite astonished, really. I felt like everybody was so they were just showing who they were. And it was so beautiful. If you can imagine, you know, 50 dark night of the soul stories and how those people have overcome those stories because of yoga or meditation or a new lifestyle and how they can share those stories with their student. It, it, it's really amazing to see. It's a real privilege, isn't it, to be part of someone's Absolutely. journey in that way and for them to trust you and to trust the other students to be able to open up like that. Absolutely. It's one of the biggest honours that I have. That brings me, I think, to my final question. And I like to ask this to all my guests. If you could recommend two things that all people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be? I would say if they were just brand new to health and wellness, to start with the body first. So what I mean by that is start walking, challenging themselves a little bit or rolling up a, a yoga mat and just sitting on the mat and, you know, doing sun salutations. Just start a relationship with yourself, with the body first and see what comes up. There's going to be lots of emotions pop up and journaling is important and acknowledging the strong emotions that tend to pop up when you start doing yoga. Mm -hmm. And starting with the body, and then I would say for your beginning is to observe the negative self-talk. What are you saying to yourself in your daily life? And to catch yourself if it's not so nice. And... Mm turn that around into something positive. Be very strict with yourself, with the thoughts, to not say things that you would probably never say to someone. We're, we're our worst enemies. And it starts oh, with the thought. If you're kind to yourself, that gives you a bigger capacity then to be kind to others. Absolutely. But it is hard. I mean, it, it's, mm -hmm. it takes practice. It doesn't it's not our natural state where we are full mm -hmm. of self-critical thoughts. So we need to really observe them. And yeah, it does. It does. It is quite hard work, I think, but doable and rewarding. It is. It is hard work. And at the same time, some of the most rewarding things require the most work. And think of those monks that we talked about, the way that they are experiencing that heightened state of the gamma brainwave. They're experiencing compassion in their hearts and love throughout their waking day because they watch every single thought. This is what they're trained to do, to train each thought into peaceful, loving thoughts. Mm. That's what meditation is, is observing. It starts with the thoughts, what what's popping up in the thoughts and observing with detachment and at the same time, um, changing them into more positive and loving and peaceful thoughts for oneself yeah. and the world around us. Farah, it's been such a thrill to speak to you today. You're so, so wise. You thank you very much for taking the time with me and uh, inviting thank me. Thank you also. I hope you enjoyed my chat with the calm, kind and accomplished Farah Furtado. She in the sunny streets of Portugal and me in my little office in Adelaide. Isn't that amazing? You can subscribe to my podcast, Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button and while you're there, click on the bell to be alerted when new episodes are available. 
You can also subscribe on your favourite podcast app, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify or Google Podcasts. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Direct links to all social media can be found on the subscribe page of my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com. So please check it out. If you would like to contact me, you can send me a message via the contacts page on my website. And please do feel free to suggest any topics you'd like to learn more about and people you'd like to hear interviewed, and I will do my very best to deliver that to you. As you may know, producing a podcast is a labour of love. We put in a lot of time, money and effort behind the scenes. So if you enjoy Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast and would like to make a contribution, you can do so via Patreon, PayPal or by Amazon. You can simply visit the contribute page of my website. And this will help ensure we continue to provide you with excellent content. Finally, please take a minute to leave a rating on iTunes. It improves visibility and will help me to source excellent guests. Thank you for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.